Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Suiting is right. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. We just set a new world record. Fastest setup. Yeah. No problems Cheers. yet. Welcome to Catholic Cheers Stuff. Cheers to the, uh, the computer, the microphones, the everything, headphones, everything, the soundboard. Everything, everything is working. The, the dusty pop guards. Except for the nasty, dusty pop guards, which. We actually scheduled. We just, Father John's very happy about that. We actually <laughs> had a little. Started on Had time. a little family meeting last week. Oh, yeah, right. Text messages See, the, the worst. Right. Text messages among, the worst. Among brothers. Do you want to do among when, brothers? When and one decides to be father, then Listen, things bro. don't go that well. Although it's effective. Do you mind John, shutting that door? Right. Do you mind shutting that door? No, I don't. But Was that too I'm aggressive? I, ho- I, don't, I don't want to tell you what to do. I don't want to, you know, I'm control s- you. you know. Well, you break my knee. <laughs> All right, your condescending sarcasm is going to break my knee. You, uh, here, don't mess with those cords, man. We got this thing working for once. All right, so we're talking to the people. We are at, uh, this is Father Mike Rapp, if you didn't notice that uh, post-nap nasally voice. No, it's it's less nasally. No, I guess it is. It's kind of stuffy. Yeah, yeah. But usually in the morning, don't you like that? Don't you get that? The morning voice? Your your voice is lower. And then... Yeah, I actually can't... 10 minutes before my no- my voice is like super high and nasally. I can't stop thinking about the um, nasty stench of the pop guard now. It's I've dusty, never noticed man. that before. It's dusty. There's good dusty, like, you know, you understand this, the library, the yeah, dusty book a nice, smell. That's a nice smell. Oh, that just ma- it sounds, it smells sophisticated. Yeah. But right now, <laughs> smelling this pop guard is not. Yeah, so we, uh, we're getting organized, folks. You know, we missed a week in July. Um, Global wants to take summers off now. That's what he uh, informed me. Uh, I don't think we should take summers off, but it's good to have a break. You know, we tried this like record early. I don't know. Thing. Well, tell me what you think about this. All we right? did. We've done this for a decade, and you know, all what? of a sudden, uh, the every week. That's a lot. You know, I'm not saying. All right, look, I'm not. That's a different issue. My question is a personality Gobel issue, which might be even more controversial in the end. <laughs> is is he is he the kind of guy who just needs to vent? Yeah. And just be yeah. like, all right, I need a solution to the anger I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling frustrated. I don't like the way things are going right now with the way we're communicating or whatever. And that's a personal frustration, right? right, right. And then it's like, well, how could we avoid this frustration? We should have done something different. Yeah, is it a, like that? Yeah, or think, is it really like, hey, I need a break, guys. No, I, Let's just I, t- slow it down. I think it's the former. I think you're right. Um He's uh yeah, he's uh he doesn't really follow up like he's not gonna push us, like on the summer thing. Part of it is because you two well, have that's, this that's what I was wondering. This um proclivity towards spontaneity, which really works well for you both. Um but yeah, Goebbels moodiness dictates a lot of the it's a stormy waters at first, but then you know the things subside and here we yeah. are doing it again. And, and guess you what? can expect you can kind of there's a predictability right. in the unpredictability. Exactly. Because you know how he's gonna respond. You can predict give him a week and then whatever. Predict the unpredictable mood now, swings. Now I'm not just trying to dog ghosts. You know that. Like we, we're all friends. Yeah, we can dog him, yeah. We've, no, 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 no. I'm I'm talking about a personality trait that I think we share. And you just mentioned that. The predictability of unpredictable. Well, just the spontaneity well, with yeah. its pros and cons. But his is a mood swing base. Yours is, uh, you know, his is like with the, I don't know, the waves and the tides. And he's very kind of, you know, I've been told, caught up in nature. I've been yours told is, yours is, uh, is not as like, I don't know, nature based. Yeah. Mine is pretty impulsive. Yeah. It's random. It's it, random. It is hard to predict. And it's not moody, although I've been told that I, I have... Like, I'm moody. I've been told by professionals. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're moody. So, folks, just, let's just dig a little deeper into the psychology of the podcast here. Because, if so think about this. So, I send a text. I, kind of I send a text to my two friends uh, who prefer, they, they are predictably unpredictable. One is driven entirely by moods, but, you know, always faithful. Global's always faithful. The other one is predictably unpredictable and then intentionally unpredictable because he wants to make sure that everything is spontaneous. So is that going to yeah. work? Do you need a towel? 
Well, that everybody knows that they can't just dictate stuff. Nobody gets it. That's the, what this is the, about. The scruples of their organizing person. This is the, this is what it's about. At the end of the day, it's everything's family of origin, right? It's two middle brothers. Personality. Two middle brothers oh, who are yeah. like okay, the so older brother so. is never going to tell me what to do ever. Culture. No, no, just saying brothers. I don't think so, dude. My brother, my older brother, is not like you. Yeah, that's true. He's not. And I do think there's something to like the the second in line. But I don't think everything comes down to it. Yeah. I think people have personalities. And, yeah. I mean, it's not like, I don't know. You, it's not like the end of the world one way or the other. It was just funny. I was just, I got to give you a jab. I like it. I, I got to give you a jab. I think it's funny. Father John is trying to make sure that the show happens and happens um, in a predictable and professional manner. I, uh... Which is good. That's good for us. There's nothing professional about it's this. It's just hard. We, we abandoned the. It's just we abandoned hard for us to keep up with his OCD. Right. And the uh, and it's hard. It's become harder. I think this is part of my kind of this the state of things for me. Uh, it we're all doing our own thing in different parts of town. Right. And it's hard to coordinate schedules. And I don't like scheduling. You're good at it. Well, no, it's it was not different a... when we lived together in yeah. Rome, where it was like, hey, Absolutely. let's do something t- today, tomorrow. It was very days easy. Where we both knew we don't have anything of a set schedule. Right. Or it's very minimal. Right. That's true. So this whole thing is, is uh, it's just funny. It's funny to get the whip cracked at you Dude. and then to realize, shoot, this is good for me and I hate it. I really hate it. No, it wasn't. Not to like put it all on your like, oh, you did it. Man. It wasn't cracking the whip. Because it was annoying. It was just kind of like, uh, how do we communicate? How do we do calendars? And because I know I I know it drives you guys nuts. But like Goble's funny because it's like he doesn't like the text message. So yeah, I think I'm doing you guys true. a favor because I'm like, don't email them. They hate email. So I oh, send no, them a you're... text and I'm like, look how laid back and chill I am. I just text you. It's like... Hey, you guys, you know, talk to the bros. We don't need to schedule anything, but, you know, the next three weeks are going to be psycho, so maybe we should get someone on the calendar. That's what I'm thinking, and you guys are like, that fascist bastard, again, <laughs> taking my life from me, no, right? okay. Oh, yeah. No, look, I, it, it is helpful. Look, okay, for communication's sake, it is helpful for me to... Molly's going to edit all of this. We never edit it. She's not going to edit it. Okay. This is all we got. This is the weirdest <laughs> banter ever, though. All if right. you're listening for the first time and you're like, these guys need counseling, um, we, uh, you're yeah, probably right. You're right. You're right. But uh, it's, it's just, okay. It's, it's going to be okay. <laughs> sad, sad and scared listener. <laughs> all right. How about this? Commercial break. Commercial I want to thank all of the uh, frozen vegetable and fruit pr- producers. Right. Um, you have done more good for my ailing body and swollen joints and bones than probably anyone else. I grew up without those gel pads in the freezer. <laughs> we use frozen vegetables and fruit. Right. So, yeah, here so, I am with so a Mike's got messed a, up uh, knee. He's got a, a bag, bag of whole strawberries. Strawberries. <laughs> here uh, it is. Yeah. It's, um, so you did this hiking a 14er yesterday. Hyperextended the knee. Yeah. I'm not used to you I getting hurt. Around. What's happening? You're aging. Uh, yeah. No, I think there's like exceptional moments that happen now and then. Do you remember? So you weren't there. It was me and Father Evan Coop and Father Dan Usterman. We were at Oktoberfest, oh, yeah. and I drank a few more beers than I probably should have, right. and then rode this ride right. and crunched my ankle. And I thought it, it was the thing, drunk guy fell on you. That well, was there was both. Okay. It was both. Because I weakened my ankle, I yeah. rolled it when the drunk guy right. flipped on me, but then I had some beers and forgot <laughs> that it's weak, <laughs> and then rode this ride and just like fell on top of it. So that lasted like, I don't know, it was like three months healing up. Yeah. It was way too long. Right. But then, yeah, I really don't have a lot of injuries, and then occasionally, this time I was just kind of running and sliding down the gravel mountain. Yeah. On the steeps and just gotcha. Hyperextend the knee. It's one of those things. Like my mind does not work like this. Right. Like this could lead to an injury. Well the world people a, get injured. World's a dangerous place. There's pine cones everywhere. You know, yeah. when you're on your scooter. 
I'm just nervous that 37 is when the body starts breaking down because you and Goble are both 37. Nepple is the only one who's impervious to these things. He's like Thor or what's the what's the supervillain in <laughs> in that one? What's the one in the Avengers? Doesn't he have like a Greek name or something? Thanos. Thanos. Thanatos? You know that? Thanos. Thanatos? Thanos. Thanos yeah. is, well, I don't want to call you Death Man. Yeah. Thanatos is Death. The, um, it's like all the superpowers rolled into one. Right, and his evil power is sending text messages to schedule and, things. Right? And it makes him so proud that he has to control everyone's <laughs> inbox. <laughs> all right, so, okay, uh, uh, back okay to, so, then back to the beef. So I, uh, I, I would like... Here's the thing is you can send the text. <laughs> We're back I, to the beef? I like the text. People don't want the beef, man. How do you they know? They want more strawberries. They like the banter. <laughs> This is the dramatic bit. I actually enjoy bantering right, with you a lot. And Matthew, shout out to my boy Matthew in uh, from Rapid City, South Dakota, Eastmo, now married, beautiful wife. Eastmo is the town? Eastmo is the man. Oh, okay. The town is Rapid City. But he's like, I always enjoy you and Father Mike's banter the best because though Goble is objectively the funniest, yeah. sometimes it's hard to get in the cockpit with him, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh, so at least for me, yeah, that's true. And I so get intimidated. I, I would just like to say, Matthew Eastmo, thanks for that encouragement. Appreciate that. Hope you don't jump ship. He doesn't. He loves this stuff. So, all right. Well, look, you can text me. You just can't expect me to text within twenty four hours. What about seventy two hours? We looked. <laughs> we looked. It was less than twenty four hours. These guys. I felt guilty, so, and you made me feel guilty. Sunday, and I looked. With it, and I was with Goble. I looked, and it was that morning. It was not seventy-two hours. You guys are. Hours. You guys must have been drunk when you did that, because when I count hours from a Sunday, when I text somebody on a Sunday, and on Wednesday there's still no response. I'm not counting twenty-four hours. But my phone. What I love is is not on Wednesday that, evening. No, no, hold on, it's so great. Ten fifty a.m. There's no admittance of guilt. Like, hey, sorry, bro, didn't get back to you. It was just I said Goble, that. and you run the numbers, and you're like. That bastard nipple, it was a 32-hour span and not a 56-hour span. No, How dare 70, he? There's a big difference between 72 and 20. All right. All right. I'll give you, I'll give you 72. All right. Look, we're I'll cool. My- we're on. I think your point is valid, and you should be satisfied with that. Deeply satisfied. Your communication sucks. <laughs> You're a tyrant, but <laughs> your point is good, and I'm going to adapt it, which uh. is I like to have this podcast rolling like regular too i know not I only know. do i like it i feel like it's healthy for my life and priesthood but yeah. i think it's good for stability with the show and for people who like it yeah no it's good it's good it's some of us who are of a more of a choleric bent we get into like hyperdrive mode and um that was on my list of things to do i was just like hammering through yeah. and i know that drives you guys nuts because then you become a to-do of like we got to get this thing scheduled boom and uh, we can't live life into it, which is a no. I don't care so much, but I used to be able to manage it in a way that you don't e- either you've changed or Gobel has changed the dynamic. Because once you get into your weird spun up turbo charge, <laughs> it's like you remember when they used to put the nitrous in the Fast and the Furious cars. It's like that's once you push NOS, when, when you that's put what it the is. Bus, it's you yeah. push the button and right. you're on the NOS. <laughs> I just ignore you for a little while, and like you ignore Goble for a week, and he he chills out. You can come down from the nos, right? And and then whatever we can. You, your point is usually valid. I don't like admitting that, but it's true. Um, but I could usually let it come down because you get so wound up. You're like, now it has to happen now. Right. It has to happen now. Like, why aren't you responding? Everything's a mess. It's so hyperbolic. I know, and. So, like, I can't do that anymore. Because I think, you know, if I let you sit it out and come down, that I'm going to come around. Right. And that I'm going to respond. Or you can just get in touch with me. Maybe this time you didn't trust that. But you can just get in touch with me and remind me. And I got busy with stuff. I didn't see the thing. And then it'll work out. Whereas Goebel's going to try to change the whole system. Right. So maybe that fuels your fire. Something. I, I think Something it's the changed. tag team. It's the middle brother tag team of like, yeah, uh-huh. let's stick to him. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, let's, hate, let's I hate both of you so much. Fact find on the false news. Yeah. Figure out this was 20, yeah. 20 hours, not 72. We don't need to admit anything. So just for the sake of record, and then we'll leave this. 
I would love to find this text message and just read it for the people <laughs> of what does Thanatos do to his friends for fun? Uh, but I can't find it. So I think you're off the hook. But uh, yeah, this has been great processing. Fact it's been a great funny. session. Um, I think we made some headway. You but sound folks, more satisfied than folks, I do. This is uh, <laughs> behind the scenes. And this is what's funny about you is you play it cool. Oh, I just Let's just bro out. And I know deep down, I'm like, I know what he's doing. He's icing me. Because he doesn't like that text message, right? I know exactly. And Goebbels like, chill out. Get out of our life. Quit controlling our life. Oh, I'm so stressed out. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, uh, I know how you guys work. No, you know? Rap just takes it on the air. And Rap knows exactly what he's doing. Ice. Yeah, right, ice. It helps with the information. All right. Helps with the information. Okay, here's so... This was on the 11th of August oh, at 8.36 a.m. still fact-finding. Morning, guys. Looking at the weeks to come you sounded- and realizing we're going to need to get another podcast recorded again soon. Wondering if either of you are available on Saturday or Sunday afternoon to record here at my place. Unfortunately, I think that's my only availability. Thanks, and let me know. Now that is the controlling Thanatos taking was that over the text, your life. The text or the mail? And your calendar. And here we are on the 12th. Goebbels responding. Rap did respond. So it was about a 20, it was about a 30 hour lag. So we can just. All right, we're meeting. I will will say I miscalculated. I was, you know, hyperbolic, a little bit uh, strong, histrionic, a little strong. It was not 72 hours. So (laughs) I will admit that. I will publicly apologize to podcast listeners that there was almost a blowout this week. That would have led to a, another week of not getting a podcast out, but it all works out just like it does every well, week. And that's the other thing that I will admit for you is that it was fairly urgent. If you hadn't have mentioned something, we were coming off a conference, there was right. a lot of catching up to do in pastor land and class preparation land. So we probably would not be sitting here. Cheers. Okay. All right, we're so, drinking our course banquets. I got a great topic that could yeah, pair well with is. this. I got the. Do you want me to do? Do you want me to do mine? Yeah, if it pairs. That's a very like a so culinary term. It pairs did you well. Mean, did you mean it? Somebody to be said this wine pairs well. Jordan said that with at dinner. We had a f- dinner for my parents' fortieth. Like that though. This wine pairs well with this steak. No, it was somebody at the I was at the priest or something yeah, like that. A, and I was it's like, like oh, one of those I don't even know how to pair anything. It's sophisticated. But this is uh so that just to show you folks, that was a, a little little study of um <laughs> the psychology of the podcast. So when technology doesn't work, um there are emotional instabilities as well. So there's all kinds of challenges that we take. But I read this book over the summer and I thought to myself um, I want to do this topic with Mike Rap because I think, and here we go, I'm going to move into an, a mode of affirmation here. Okay. This is going to follow us in this conversation, I feel like. Okay, no, go on. This is a virtue that I think that you live very well and that I have really enjoyed, especially when we were in Rome together, when we lived together. What do you need? No, you go ahead? ahead. So have you ever heard of Hugo Rahner's book, Man at Play? Johnny, I love it. You've read it? You know um, it? Part of it? Uh, I'll get back to that at the end. Hugo Rahner. What is this one called? Pi Day. Pi Day. Pi Day Theo. Okay, we'll get to it. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, yeah. I think we're going to have some interesting stuff going on here. So Rebecca and Isaac? Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, here it. we go. So Man at Play. This is a book that was written... Uh, it was just recently republished by Clooney Media. If you don't know Clooney Media, these guys are doing great work. What they're doing, a lot of their books are out-of-print books that pass the whatever 50-year kind of copyright requirement. Uh, so I think I think Hugo Rahner writes this, it doesn't say, probably in the 50s or the 40s. Um, and Man at Play is a, it's a theological and religious interpretation of play and its place in culture and society. So the whole point of the book is that play is a really important human phenomenon. It's not just something that kids do. Yeah. Die spielende Mensch, right? So like the playful man, right, or person. Did you read it in German? No. Are you? Oh, okay. Just saw it right there. Okay. Um, did you, wait, did you introduce Hugo? No. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know a whole lot about him. Just that he's the brother of the famous Karl Rahner theologian and 
um, sus- suspicious theologian for all of those weak minds who don't want to take on <laughs> hard theology. Sorry, apology to all of you out there. You're ridiculous. Um, <laughs> that's rude, but uh, I do get a little annoyed where um, speculative theologians are just too a little too hard for people. Back to Hugo Rahner. So uh, Hugo Rahner is a Jesuit who. Um, is a brilliant mind, a theologian. He is a lot safer than his brother's work and um, plays some real interesting kind of ideas, but they're not like controversial mm-hmm. or they don't claim to take over and like whole, what, like pioneer everything new and right. re- rearrange all of classical theology. It's just good, solid points, right. usually taken from um, scripture, some dogmatic theology, some fathers, but. Yep. Usually, I, I think it's like magisterium and scripture, no? Yeah, so Rahner, uh, Hugo Rahner, the brother of Karl Rahner, who's more famous, uh, was a patristic scholar. So he studied the fathers of the church, so the early oh, centuries. Hugo is patristic. Hugo is patristics. Okay. Uh, and Hugo wrote a great couple of books. He's got a wonderful book on Mary and the church that I always recommend to people. He really kind of pioneered some of that. And uh, But this is just a fantastic little 100-page book on play. And it's just very simply, it's a theology or a philosophy of play. And what does this look like? Um, Spielen. Die Spielende Mensch. So the the chapters of the book kind of break down into this, and we're we're just going to have to be able to touch on a couple of um, high points here. The playing of God, the playing of man, the playing of the church, the heavenly dance, not going to go into that today. And then Eutropalia, a forgotten virtue. Eutropalia. Eutropalia, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. So. So basically, um, Rahner begins with this question of what is play? What is this thing that, um, that is distinctively human, right? So we, we'll say that like those dogs are playing with each other, um, you know, or isn't that cute how, I don't know, we talk about animals doing these things, but um, we're talking about something different here, you know? When kids play, it's like very intentional. Hmm. Like it's not just kind of, Instinctual, instinctive, you know, animals kind of playing together, kind of fighting, and you got the bone or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not just kind of based in sense appetites. Like kids are imaginative and intentional, and they take their play very seriously. Yeah. It's something yeah, that it's yeah. like. I like that distinction. And me. you have little little ones coming up, but they're pretty small in your family. Yeah, but, I think at first it's, it's probably animalian. Yeah. I don't know. You yeah. kind of grow into that place where, but it happens very early on. Yeah. Where kids are just like making up games yeah. and scenarios and like places and characters and all that stuff. And getting like, yeah, just I, there's something I think with the human imagination that sets it apart. Right. I mean, at first it is though, like my, my little nephews, they'll wrestle around and they'll, um, I don't know, kind of joke with each other and, um, there's it's the kind of play that I think you see in the animal world. Right. Which is cool. Right. It's really beautiful and exactly. fascinating. But it's not the same thing as like applying rational powers. Right. So you think of um there's certainly an animal dimension to the way that like little especially little kids play, or even like the way that we play sports, you think about these things. But then yeah, something develops with the human faculties as kids get older. I've been watching my nephews kind of develop um and waiting to see are they going to be as weird as their mom, who had the craziest imagination? Her imaginary friends were Peacock and Momo. I remember. Peacock she would play with them under the bleachers? Under the bleachers at hockey practices. That's what happens when your brain gets kind of permafrosted from being stuck at hockey games your Was whole Peacock entire childhood. Was Peacock a Peacock? I don't think so. Oh. But that would be helpful for her to explain more about. What were the actual forms of, yeah. uh, what's the gestalt you, you just of know the names. Peacock? Peacock, Momo, and Silly. I was never privy to a, a, a meeting with them. So, no, you know, just they're kinda, her friends. They were her friends, but her play and um, just the way that kids play is something that is it's really worth paying attention to, and then thinking about what happens when we go through adolescence and then we become quote unquote adults, and we what is lost there, you know? Yeah, like what happens when we can no longer just like yesterday my. Uh, parents took the nephews and katie said just take them to the river just let them play in the river they'll just just go all day right yeah um they they 
they find creation fascinating and interesting in itself, and they just want to immerse themselves in it. And their faculties are alive in a way that ours are not because we're busy organizing and planning and sending text messages and doing these things. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to. Ronner is saying play is a human act. It's not just something that children do because they're kind of quasi animal and then they grow out of it. That's maybe the first yeah. place we start. Yeah, you don't you don't grow out of it. But don't you say would he would he recognize it in a sad way, just like a disappointing way that we do grow out of it? We don't like to play anymore. We work and we you know get kind of I don't know, we interact with each other for very like intentional reasons of like getting something out of a conversation or right. I feel better if I socialize or, you know, dot, dot, dot. I think, I just feel like adults, although we have the potential and that's what he's saying, like this is a human instinct and not a children's thing. Um, it's sad that we don't do as much of it. Oh, I totally, I totally agree. And he, that's exactly where he starts. So he begins in, um, Sirach. So this is wisdom literature, uh, Sirach 32 verse 15. Run home to thy house, and there withdraw thyself. Play, and do what thou hast a mind. So this is where he kind of begins. And, and what, he, what he's going to do is, Ronner's going to move from that verse, and then study what is Aquinas, how does he comment on this? Because remember, Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas' main job was commenter on the sacred page. That was his, yep. his thing. He was a biblical commentator. Yep. It wasn't just writing sumus. That was part of it, but it was mostly, so he's, so Aquinas is meditating on Sirach, this wisdom literature from the Old Testament, and he's tying in Aristotle. And he's tying in what Aristotle talks about, this virtue of eutropalia, which we'll talk about here a little later. right? Um, and so the wise man, which is what Sirach is concerned with, has a sense of how play is tied to or compared to contemplation. So that's the first thing, mm-hmm. is that when kids are playing and what they manifest for us is... Uh, playfulness is connected to leisure and contemplation, which for the ancients is the the source and the purpose of human life is contemplation, theoreia, right? To behold. So in this, well, like breaking down the contemplation, like how, what do you mean by that? Like definition wise, that's like uh, application of the imagination and creativity and um, curiosity into like important things or contemplation in the sense of the, you know, the children's virtue, maybe wonder, mm-hmm. like maybe all those things. Yeah, wonder, big part of it. Wisdom, contemplation of wisdom, I think maybe. When, when what, we're, what we're invited to is a deeper kind of play as we mature and grow older, which is a kind of beholding and understanding and maybe kind of picking up on the meaningfulness and the wisdom, the, the pattern, the intelligibility of everything, of human life. And um, in a particular way, there's kind of a, he talks about a nimbleness of mind enables a man to play as a sign of the nobly formed character. This is when Aristotle is talking about eutropalia, this virtue uh, of play, so to speak. Um, and uh, it's just, it's, it's an essential part of human life. It's not everything. Um, we don't just play all the time, right? Aristotle says this, he, he, you know, we have to work, but he says, recuperative rest and cheerful play seem to be necessary for life. So Aquinas is going to pick up on that and say, recuperative rest and cheerful play seem to be necessary for life. Tying that into Sirach and into what we see in, and this is a, another line from, uh, uh, I think this is from Aquinas. Therefore, unmitigated seriousness betokes a lack of virtue because it wholly despises play, which is as necessary for a good human life as rest is. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Well, I love it. I love it in part because I love to play. Yes, you do. <laughs> and then the other part is I think we can get to business like with leisure. So leisure is supposed to be restful. It's supposed to tap into a different part of human beings than the work side. Right. And then if leisure just means I add new hobby goals to my life. Right. And now I'm reading as many books as I can or um, even... I don't know, like some of our athletic pursuits. Right. I get into a mode where it's like I just am so goal-oriented. I mm-hmm. forget that this can be a fun thing to do with other people. Right. And this can be 
like uh, lighter than it is right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I can look around instead of just like feel my body moving faster, 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 harder. You know. Yeah, I got a PR. I got to max everything out. Yeah, the play. Um, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the and in the spiritual life, this happens a lot. There's kind of a we were talking about this late into the evening last night. Last night was a a really good example of playful conversation. Like, um, so when we talk about play, it doesn't mean just like, you know, go down to the stream and bring your imaginary friends and just kind of, but there's a kind of playfulness that happens in adult conversations when there's a levity and a humility and a joy and kind of a mutual sense of wonder, I think that happens. Mm -hmm. We have friends who are like this. Uh, Beatrice Sullivan is one that comes to mind. Um, she's just, I don't know if it's because she's French or what, but I just find she has this playful spirit. Um, that I find to be totally hilarious and interesting, but it's yeah. not like because he keeps going back to like it's this delightful. is not this is not buffoonery. It's you know? not annoying. No, it's not. Uncom- it's not uncomfortable or awkward. Right. So last night we were after Lord's Day. You you stayed up for a bit and then crashed because you were tired. But uh, the conversation got really heated over some crazy, ridiculous things. Yeah. Oh, I would have liked. But Even it, with the guest, we had a guest. Oh yeah, the guest was probably horrified. But it was <laughs> okay. six companion priests sitting around drinking whiskey, talking about liturgy and life and the church and COVID, and it was it was just bordering on the ridiculous at times, but also very serious. And but I, it just it had a good feel to it. Like everybody left. Brady's always horrified because he's like yeah, these guys are such a mess. But nervous. But I was like that was playful. Because I've left conversations and been bitter and resentful, um, and I and I'm like, I wish I wouldn't have said this or this, and then you kind of. But it was just kind of like it was very free, you yeah. Know? Guys threw a lot of ridiculous stuff out there, also some really profound stuff, and yeah, uh, but enjoyable. But you that go, was you yeah. go away light. Yeah, so I thought that was an example of eutropalia as a community, which doesn't always happen, but I do think is kind of a mark. I feel I feel like uh, it's very easy to to play in conversation with you or with Goble. That, that's the whole point of banter, right? Is yeah, that we don't just yeah, get yeah. into business. Yeah. It's like, you got to play a little bit. Yeah, exactly. You have, so we want to yeah. enjoy this. Otherwise we're not going to do I hope, it. I think you know? that's people, well, that's why people like it. Yeah. I hope that it informs your own play and banter. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of the fun of relationships. It can't just be functional all the time. And that's what he, that functional aspect is really important because he, he really goes after kind of the utilitarian spirit of everything has to be useful. Everything has to be, you know, I need to use these next four and a half minutes for this purpose and this, and then this life gets really heavy and serious and contrast that with the levity and the naturalness of, I mean, one of my favorite people of the last, you know, 50 years is, um, Lorenzo Albacetti, you know, Monsignor Lorenzo, who was notoriously bad at responding to emails and phone calls. Yes. But was extremely present to people and and had a real gift for friendship because he just had that. So I'm not justifying non-responsive text And he's fun. You can tell he's fun. But he's fun. Read God at the Ritz. Exactly. Yeah. Albacetti is a great example of uh, of eutropalia, of man at play. So here's another line from, um, from the book here that ties into this, I think. Uh, he's talking about um, this eutropalia in the Christian tradition. It is this humane and Christian philosophy of man at play that is my subject here. He's introducing the book. And for us men and women of today, some knowledge of it is a healing necessity. Trapped as we are on the hopelessly wrong road of idiotic earnestness <laughs> or on the senseless one of exclusive preoccupation with the things of the world. Mm. He talks about the barren solemnity of a purely utilitarian view of life. And I don't mean to get all like political or cultural here for a second, but that when I read that phrase, idiotic earnestness, I was like, you just summed up 2020 for me right there. <laughs> yeah. Idiotic earnestness. Yeah. Nobody knows what we're doing in this, in this time right now. I mean, it's going to yeah. get crazy in the next few months. And we don't know what's going to happen with COVID. Nobody knows, but it's a bunch of idiotically earnest people running around thinking they can control everything. Yeah, and just worrying. And we do it. I do it. I mean, it and just, but but not happy. People are just. Yeah. There's just a there's a kind of a frenzy that's been happening for months, and it's just like, what is going on? And I think that he just nailed it. Like this is play is a healing necessity. Yeah. You know, and I can say I can say in my own life for sure that's. Um, I think like those two phrases, whatever followed idiotic earnestness. And a senseless 
senseless one of exclusive preoccupation. Given to the world or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's the sides of the balance, right? Right. One is the, we're just, we got to worry all the time, but it makes no sense. There's no reason for it. Or there's no, there's no outcome. There's no fruit. Nothing changes right. through all the worry. And the other end is the, I got to smoke weed and play video games all the time because there is nothing to take seriously. And totally. I got to lose myself in the world, you know? Um, but I do think maybe the church and certainly this time um, can tend to the one rather than the other. Mm-hmm. And it's that, that sort of anxiety. Yeah. You know, it's just that, well, even the earnest, that's a good word because earnest is usually thought to be a virtue. And so everybody is doing this sincerely thinking it's really important and good, but it just doesn't make any sense. So I like that phrase, idiotic earnestness. Yeah, and, and that's Oscar Wilde. Tat- that's your I could, Oscar Wilde. I could tattoo right? that on my arm. Right, the importance of being earnest. Here's the problem. Yeah, idiotic I do earnestness. It. I, in, at the worst times of my life, that's exactly the diagnosis. Yeah, I uh, I think that. Yeah, we're all kind of idiotic in our earnestness, as I was with the text and planning the. You know, you step away from these things and you just realize how stupid you are. Um, and then your friend, you know, records it publicly and, you know, sends it yeah. out to like 80,000 people or, you know, right. you know, these kind of things happen. Well, that's, there, there's the idiotic <laughs> earnestness. No, it's but like, it's like, I got to settle this. Right. No, but it's, uh, it's just nice to be able to laugh and say, wow, we're kind of idiots and we're, we're really earnest, but really not. Uh, and, and that's the freedom uh, of, of plays is to be like, yep, we don't, we didn't fix it. We didn't fix COVID. Yeah. We didn't fix uh, uh, the problems of our culture, you know, of the world. It's just like we're doing the best we can. Yeah. We're trying to take care of each That's other. That's a conversation. You're right. talking about the most important things, knowing right. you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. And it's, you're it just is, having fun with it. Right. Like really grave things. And, and not, think, not in a rude way. Right. Because I think you can be profane with that, but right. it doesn't have to be. It can be playful. And a lot of this idiotic earnestness is really goodwill. Um, sincere people, but the sign of a post-religious culture. Because what one of the main points of this book is to say that uh, play is intimately connected, is a religious phenomenon. And when you study the ancient world, as you have, you know, like this notion of homo ludes, right? Ludes is the Latin for uh, utrapalia or play, man at play, Mm. homo ludes. When you study this, you realize... Um, play is something that's just that religion is a kind of play. That's why kids are naturally religious, right? They just they get it, like because it ties into their world. Not not that it's make believe or fairy tales, um, but it's but there's something there's something connected here between leisure and contemplation, mm-hmm. philosophy and religion. And well, so, even yeah. in the in the ancient world, it makes me think think of uh, festivity and festivals. Mm-hmm. When you would play officially and society would play in the ancient world, you would work all the time because everybody was farming and trading and doing things that took all the time. And then there were festivals and everyone from the countryside would go into the city and then you would see the plays of Euripides or you'd see the theater, you'd see the choral music, you'd see the religious festivals with processions and dancing and and prayers and all this stuff that was connected with religion. They were always religious events. They were religious festivals. And then you had all of this, um, the philosophers, the poets, the theater, everything was connected to those events because mm-hmm. that's where you could showcase things. Right. And everybody would be gathered together around religious time. It was a playtime. Yeah. And uh, we ex- we saw some of this, I think, living in Europe, living in Italy, you know, these moments. We just had Ferragosto yesterday, you know. Um, but there's something kind of hollow about these modern people trying to kind of keep reinventing the cultural festivities because the religious sense, the religious core is kind of yeah. falling out. That's a whole other conversation, but there is something about, oh, I see what you're saying. Fest, you know, the festival, the, the post, post-religious, thing. post-religious, yeah, the festival is, is what draws together the, the playfulness and you, you do still see this culturally. I mean, we saw this, I'm thinking of nights in Assisi that we were there and just like, you see things, you're just like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, And it's just in them. They've been doing this for centuries. So the medieval man, the ancient mind, had a deep sense of play, culturally, personally, and it it drew out of their 
their own deep Christian uh, and religious you know, sentiments. So here we go. Here's another line from Hugo. Only the man who knows just where to find the middle region between heaven and earth will, with sure instinct, fall into this balanced posture of the soul that is the mark of the man who plays rightly. He must be a man who neither cynically despises the world nor is consumed by an Epicurean appetite for it. He must be a man who has the divine so much at the center of his preoccupations that he can find in it the things of this world. In other words, the nature of the inwardly ga- of inward gaiety of the man who truly plays and for whom earnest and jest are sisters is at bottom a religious problem. And this peculiar quality can only be attained by one who is both of heaven and earth. The inner essence of humor lies no matter how heretical this may seem, in the strength of the religious disposition. Uh, so humor, that play. Earnest, earnest and jest working together. Earnest it's and jest. It's not one or the other. Exactly. Exactly. So I think, what does this look like then practically for us? Well, I went on a bike ride with John McCoy yesterday. Had a great time. Shout uh, out, John. Back on the bike. Thanks, Melissa, for letting him bike. Exactly. And then I went for coffee with Melissa, which is great. Now, that can be play. But that can also not be play, you know? I've been on a bike before and been miserable. Yeah. Uh, and then I've been on a bike before and just been like, this is like the lightest, most enjoyable, that nimbleness of mind that he talks about, you know? Uh, so I think a lot of the things, in it, we have to really reassess the way that we recreate, what we find to be leisurely, the way that we relate to our friendships, like the relationships that we're in. Uh, is there an element of play? Is there an element of humor? Can we laugh? You know, or is it just gravitas and seriousness? And, yeah. You know. Well, I like the combination with the biking with a friend because the way I see it is you're tapping into the jest. That is, you're goofing around, you're having fun, you're letting down. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a project, a working project that you're doing together. Um, not this isn't during working hours. This is, um, yeah, it's it's. It's unimportant to ride a bike. But on the other hand, it's what's terribly earnest and what's really important here is friendship. Right. It's actually being intentional enough to saying, let's make an appointment and uh, spend time together, do something we like together, um, further the relationship, further the friendship. So you do have both like th- the most important thing and the, the least important thing that you're doing mm-hmm. while prioritizing this you know so that jest and earnestness i like those he's just he's just killing it with the one-liners yeah he or is. You're, you're like a gold miner with reading these books well i, I can never find a good quotation oh man there's so much in here and uh we are kind of running out of time so okay, i might going. just say um like maybe two or three more well, things say something about eutropalia okay let's do that let's go into eutropalia um so eutropalia is um literally means you which is Good or yeah, well, good. Mm-hmm. and paleo, which I think comes from trope, uh, turn to turn. So it's a well turned, hmm. right? So think about it. You're at a dinner and um, something funny happens, uh, awkward, you know, uh, contradictory, unexpected, and then somebody has that like perfect line, you know, where they just they elus- illuminate it for us, and everybody just kind of laughs. That's well turned, you know. Oh yeah, that's utrapalia. Great turn of phrase. Great turn of phrase. Exactly. So. Eutropalia is a virtue, right? So Aristotle describes this as a good habit that sits between two different extremes, okay? So if eutropalia is the um, kind of the ability to, I don't know how I would describe it, like um, kind of wittiness, I guess, would be the best way of kind of the humor, wittiness, the kind of nimbleness of mind that we've been talking about to where you can just there's a flexibility there's a freedom there's a humanity humanitas is the latin translation of eutropalia so really? that's just the, which is interesting okay. because it's the question of how to form a priest humanly is like the question that we all need to be asking and you and i are working in priestly formation and just in general with christians it's like we've just got to become more human and that is means more holy as well but it, there has to be something there. And uh, so eutropalia is a really important part of it, but it's it's connected to relating and joking and playing, but it's, again, it's a virtue. So they, the Greeks talk about it as the serious, serene person. So they can do both. So mm-hmm. let's say I'm on a, on a ride with John McCoy. If I'm eutropaliac, I don't know if that's a word, 
we have an ability to move in and out of joy, joyful kind of jocular conversations, but also move into serious stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because play is not contradictory to seriousness. So the two extremes, if eutropalia is this well-turning, so to speak, stands between two different extremes, as Aristotle says. The one extreme is bomolokos, the, ret- the poor wretch who hung about the altar of sacrifice in hope of snatching or begging an odd bit of meat. In a broader sense, one who is ready to make jokes at every turn for the sake of a good meal or himself. So this is it's the, the gesture. It's the gesture. It's the, the, bu- the buffoon. Yeah. Bomolokos. That's a great term. Bomolokos. <laughs> and then the opposite extreme is agro- agroikos, the boar, the boorish one. This mm. is B-O-O-R, whose coarse stiffness is despised by the high-cultured citizens. So those who go to excess and ridicule are thought to be buffoons uh, who itch to have their joke at all costs. We've met people like this. We've probably been people like this at times where it's just sure. like, sure. you just pushed it too far. You know, yeah. I can think of times when I've done Or there's that. no substance here. No substance I don't want to pursue this person. Yeah. I'm not going to learn anything. And then the, uh, the other side, those on the other hand who never have any chance to say anything funny themselves and take offense at everything that does are considered boorish and morose. So those are the two extremes. Eutropalia is the virtue of the kind of witty, light, nimble, joyful character. But it's a virtue. It's a habit. It's something that we need to form in ourselves. Yeah. It's not just like, I'm a really optimistic person you know like my mom is a very uh, optimistic person she gets up in the morning and it's sunny and it's 70 degrees it's just every day's what about this this is different this is a can i use the term charm it's like somebody who's in in a social setting who likes to entertain people because it makes them feel comfortable yeah and maybe it's like self-serving in in ways too but a lot of times it's just to make people feel you know kind of break the ice or something that's a good way of putting it. I, uh, there's a phrase that he uses, I can't find it here, where he talks about spiritual elegance. Mm. And that's the kind of charm. So this doesn't just mean you're gullible and you're just ridiculously witty, right? Yeah. Because right? he is a, he's insane. That's like, not a virtue, though. That's just a No, it's a gift, gift yeah. It's a so like, I'm thinking of, I had a wonderful uh, lunch with the um, Bayer family. So this family that I had met at Good Shepherd, but I ran into him at Queen of Peace, or at... Uh, Queen of All Saints in Crested Butte. We had lunch together. Uh, Thomas uh, is the Thomas is the dad of the family. We went mountain biking. It was great. But his mom, I met his mom, and I was just like, she is a spiritually elegant woman. She's from Phoenix, and she, I, I just just talked over that meal, and I was like, there's something there that is that eutropalia speaks of. Like, mm-hmm. So it's not just about center of the party, super fun, outrageous, but um, this refined mentality. It's a, as he says, it's a kind of mobility of the soul mm. by which a truly cultured person turns, so, so that Palic, you know, Eutropalia, turns to lovely, bright, relaxing things without losing himself in them. It is, so to speak, a spiritual elegance of movement in which his seriousness and his moral character can be perceived. The object of Eutropalia is play for the sake of seriousness, as Aristotle once said. Yeah. Can I use a, an image that I like to use when talking about this virtue? For sure. Um, it's they're either standing at a mountaintop because I like that and I just did that yesterday, or looking at the sky. Um, there are moments when you're a part of nature, when you see something that's much bigger than you, and you uh-huh. have this opening eye epiphany where it's an experience of awe. And usually the feeling is something of both an absolute connection with nature and the world, and an absolute like feeling um, small. So you're looking at the stars, and you are struck with that sense of like there are billions, hundreds of billions in our galaxy, hundreds of billions of those galaxies that we know of. I am so small and insignificant that it, nothing really matters a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And there's a freedom that comes from that, a lightness that comes from that. And then you feel so connected to nature or the world, yeah. or you see your creator in that amazing thing and you say somehow i am the most important thing like i'm alive i've i'm i'm dignified by god i'm uh, i have a mission that's given by um by life and by having like this one particular personality that although i'm one of seven uh, billion in the world there's so, there's so much out there that is very special that i'm I'm here. Like yeah. this is a single instance that's like very unique in the world. So you're feeling both like this total lightness 
And then also this absolute gravity at the same time when you feel this connection with nature. At least that's when I connect with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. That's it. And that's the paradox of being creation, you know. Mm. And if but if you lose the distinction between God and creation, if God just gets eliminated, then that sense of wonder that is awakened in you naturally, which leads to play, um, it, it the whole the whole thing gets eclipsed, and we just again run around being idiotically earnest through our life, and without mm. that, the joy that you experience that. So I think it's a great image. We'll call it there. We better close it off here because we got to do another one before you go hear confessions. Okay. So blessings, to everybody. I got a uh, shout out. So I, I just talked about Thomas Bear family. Uh, I know he listens to the podcast, um, and his wife Samantha. They got five kids. Um, I don't even know his mom's name, but the to mom to mom, and uh, she probably doesn't listen. But uh, great family. It's always a joy to meet these Catholic families that just they're just doing it. You know, they're just living it, and they're it's amazing. So. Really grateful for them. Yeah, sign of grace. Uh, shout out to Creatio Crew, uh, specifically the people I hiked with and had the pleasure of uh, great conversation and some play yesterday with uh, Chris Lanciati, who's been a good friend. For Congrats, a long time. Lance! He finished the 14ers. He climbed the 58th, debatably the 53rd, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, checked it off the list. It was a great time. Uh, got to pray with them, Feast of the Assumption and um, Solemnity. And uh, met David and met Nathan and his girlfriend Maggie from Minnesota and um, Jack. And Jack. it was just a really cool crew. Yeah. So what's up, guys? And uh, thanks for hiking with me. Well, that's it. Be playful in your text messages to one another. Don't count the hours that they don't respond. It's almost ironic that we had this like argument and then I love talk it. about play. <laughs> That's why I was like, this is just perfect. So if anything, it, it shows uh, beneath the idiotic earnestness of these priests in our life, uh, there is a grace to play, and that comes from the Lord. And so we'll, we'll ask for that, pray for that for you. And grateful for your listening. We'll come back uh, at you next week. Mike and I are going to do one more here after a break. So that's it. Catholic right Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next